0: One of the uh things that's interesting about our church is we are from many different places in the world. In fact, this is an interesting thing about Bonaire in general is there are people living here in Bonaire from uh places I never heard of of course i'm an American, so i haven't heard of that many places but uh you know how that goes the uh the question I have for you is, do you have a homeland? We all all come from someplace. We have a homeland. And the idea of a homeland is uh, an idea that's present in the text we're going to look at this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. So uh, I invite you, if you have a Bible, to uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and read along. This is Hebrews 11, and, well, I'm going to start a little bit before our text in verse 8. So this is part of the text we looked at last time as well. Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob fellow heirs of the same promise. Last time we didn't pay much attention to the mention of Isaac and Jacob. For he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful or trustworthy who had promised. Therefore, Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heavens in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And now we come to today's text. And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, a homeland of their own. For indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, and that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We've been talking about living by faith, and we've been asking this question, how does faith act according to the future promised by God? You know we could put the question mark in the center of that that question. How does faith act according to the future promised by God? Faith acts in the knowledge that whatever God has promised he will deliver. And if I am certain of a thing to be delivered it changes how I act, doesn't it? Let's imagine just for a moment, we'll turn this into a material illustration. Let's imagine that someone came along and guaranteed to you that one year from now, you would receive a million dollars.
1: would that change how you act?
0: It most certainly would. It most certainly would. You'd start spending that money already. You wouldn't wait till you received it. You'd act now. And if the guarantee was certain enough, you could go to the bank and borrow money on the promise of paying it back when you got the delivery. It would change how you think of your place in this society. It would change everything about everything you did. And we're talking about a million dollars which in the eternal scheme of things is really not much to talk
1: about. Well,
0: how does faith act according to the promise of God? Faith regards God as a trustworthy promiser. So whatever he has indeed actually promised to you, he will indeed, actually deliver to you. In fact, the Bible says this with such assurance that some of these things he's promised to us, it speaks of in the past tense, as though they've already occurred. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified, glorified. Well, we're still waiting for the actual playing out. That last word in that sentence is a promise, but it's spoken of as delivered. In fact, the scripture says, All the promises of God in Christ are yes. delivered in him, even the ones that are yet to be delivered. It's quite stunning. Well, faith regards God as a trustworthy promiser because it knows God must be true to himself. God is true to himself, God is faithful to God. And so God always does what God declares to himself, he will do. And if he declared it to you, he declared it to himself. We also know God is a trustworthy God is trustworthy because God is true to himself and God is good. God is good. Now, some people question that second part, do they not? Many of us have trouble. Even those of us who know God is good sometimes have trouble trusting God's goodness. Sometimes we wonder just how good He really is. So we might ask the question how do you know God is good? Well, you certainly don't know God is good because nothing bad ever happens. That's not how we know.
1: God's goodness does not prevent all badness. And the people
0: who really don't trust in God's goodness want to argue that if God is good, nothing bad should ever happen but that we know that's not true plenty of bad things happen all the time so how do you know god is good
1: there's really only one fully satisfactory answer to that question and that
0: is he showed up here in the badness himself the only Solid, reliable, ultimate answer to the question, how do you know God is good, is the life, death, resurrection, ascension, intercession, and promised return of the eternal Son of God in the man, Jesus Christ, who showed up, who walks with us in the badness who endured the badness in a way that redeems us, who demonstrated, according to Romans 5, who demonstrated the love of God in his death for our sake. That's how I know God is good. God is good and God is faithful. And so, he is Utterly trustworthy. So I pray, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I need, he's, he's, he's got no problem of trustworthiness, but I do have some problem of trust. Faith relies on the promises of God and acts accordingly. Faith endures hardship for the name of Christ. Faith exhibits the radical, sacrificial love of Christ. What makes me invest myself and my resources in sacrificial love toward anyone else? Shouldn't I watch out for myself? Shouldn't I guard my things for my own self and, you know, people I'm really close to? What encourages me to live and exhibit that same sacrificial love that he exhibited on the cross? Because that, in the world's terms, is the most foolish thing ever done. What encourages me to do that is the promise of God's Word that in Him, whatever I give, I get back. Whatever I might sacrifice, I received. And by the way, I only had it in the first place because he gave it to me. And he says in his word, if he did not deny his only son to us, how would he deny anything else? And so we are promised by the scriptures that the one who gave his son for us also freely in Christ gives us everything. And so we inherit the earth. So I don't really have to watch out for my stuff. I can be generous because I am the child of the one who owns all things, the creator of all things, who has promised me that he will always provide anything that I actually need. Well, plus everything else. Now, I don't always have the same vision he does about what I need. Uh, there's, there can be you know, some disagreement between him and me about what exactly I need. I need the world to always act perfectly towards me. I need every one of you to take care of me, regardless of you. I need, you know, good customer service from Microsoft. Well, apparently I don't actually need that because it's never provided.
1: So what is involved
0: here is Faith. I have to trust his vision of my needs and not my own. Oh, that's in Proverbs, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding because think of how faulty your own understanding must be. Faith relies on the promise of God and acts accordingly. Faith does not seek The immediate comfort of departing from God's ways. That's the real lesson for the Hebrews was they thought there might be some immediate comfort in departing from God's ways, from Christ. Faith sticks with Jesus. Faith doesn't mind the shame of associating with Christ. So how does faith act faith acts according to the future promised by God it's the bank account that's already been filled now these folks that we are talking about the scripture says died in faith who are who are they they died in faith who are they that died in faith well the general answer to the question is everybody in the list and this is going to get repeated in the end, at the end of the chapter, with reference to everyone in all of Hebrews eleven. In that, this great what we call the Hall of Faith, this list of those who died in faith. It's a long list, and the list ends like this. And there were, and you know, we barely mentioned any of them. There were these, and these, and these, and these, in various categories. All categories of suffering, interesting, but we'll come to that. But in this case, they died in faith, I think, refers in particular to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think that because, as we'll see, they're the ones who uh, confessed that they were strangers and aliens. And they're the ones who uh, God is said to be called their God. And we'll we'll look at that. So they died in faith. And the first thing the scripture, the text says about that is they still hadn't received the things promised. They died waiting.
1: And waiting in faith. They expect to receive
0: the things promised when they die that tells you something about what they think about death and how irreversible they might think it is it says they still hadn't received the thing promised the things promised and we could think about well what were the things promised well there was a land there was a nation
1: and uh, a blessing. A blessing to the nations from the nation. The blessing is
0: Christ. The one who blesses the nations from the nation is Christ. The book of Galatians, by the way, says that when God made this promise to Abraham, you know what Paul calls that promise in the book of Galatians? It says, God preached the gospel to Abraham. Jesus says about Moses, he wrote about me. Well, here's one spot where he wrote about him. So they still hadn't received the things promised, but they died in faith. They didn't get to the point of death and going, well, I guess it wasn't true. They didn't didn't do that. It says here, they saw the things promised and welcomed the things promised from a distance. Still looking forward. When they died, they didn't think God had failed to deliver the promise. They still expected him to deliver the promise on the day they died. The promise he made to them. The uh, third thing the text says about them, the first thing was they still hadn't received the promise. The second thing is they saw the promise and they welcomed the promise. They received the promise as though it had been delivered when it hadn't been delivered. The third thing is, they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, this is actually, I believe, a quotation from Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23 has the story of Sarah's death. Sarah died in the land of Canaan and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth. Who? Well, the sons of Heth who apparently lived around there. And he said, I am a stranger and a sojourner, that's our phrase, among you. Give me a burial site among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So Abraham confesses that he's a stranger and an alien and an exile or a sojourner or a pilgrim on the earth. And that's his confession.
1: But wait a second. When he showed up here, God said, this is the land. I will give you and your descendants. But not yet.
0: So he confessed he's a stranger in an exile on the earth. It's interesting. It's on the earth Which also could mean in the land, but earth is a broader picture, which we'll come back to. Here's the thing the promised land is not yet the promised land. You know, it still isn't.
1: I mean, it's promised,
0: it's promised, but it never has been delivered. That's why we read that text from Revelation chapter 21 about the day in which it is delivered. When the city of God, the new Jerusalem, comes down to the earth and God inhabits the earth and His kingdom shall reign forever and ever. He establishes the new heaven and the new earth and the promise made to Abraham is fulfilled by the one who says, I'm making everything new. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Who's that? The Lord Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in him. Including this one. And so from a distance, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saw the promised land the promised nation, the promised blessing, and trusted God to deliver it to the day they died. The writer of Hebrews makes the argument then that uh, they were still seeking a homeland when they died. They were living in it, and they were still seeking it when they died, they were still seeking the homeland. Let me get
1: back to Hebrews 11 here.
0: What this uh, translation calls a country of their own. Do you have a country of your own? You know, uh, many of us here are not from here. We're strangers and aliens. We're Uh, pilgrims and exiles. This isn't our country, but we live here. They lived in their country that wasn't theirs yet with faith. And he says, those who say such things, say what things? We're strangers and aliens. That's their confession. Those who say such things are still seeking, not claiming homeland. Now, one of the ways we recognize the faith of Abraham is he lets God deliver what God promised. Not always he doesn't do that, but he does in this instance. He tries to deliver God's promise, you know, in the story along the way. And we all will know how that works out. And God says, no, I'll deliver my own promise. And God They are still looking, still seeking a homeland that has been promised to them. They weren't thinking about the homeland they came from, he says. You know, back in, well, it's in present-day Iraq, actually. Where they came from. They're not thinking about that as their homeland. You know, I think about where I came from as my homeland. But they weren't. They were looking for one. and not the where they were it wasn't where they were it wasn't where they came from but he says what as it is they desire a better a better homeland a heavenly one the one we read about in revelation
1: so they died in faith still
0: waiting, still looking, still seeking a country of their own, delivered from heaven. And then we read this, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now this means more than you think it might. Like, why would God be ashamed to be called anyone's God? God is God. He should be called my God, your God, everyone's God. Why would that cause him any shame to be recognized as God? That's not the point. What he's he's talking about here is what we read about in Exodus chapter 3. You know what's going on in Exodus chapter 3 is Moses is having his conversation with God in the burning bush. You remember that conversation? It was kind of an argument where God commissions Moses to go and deliver his people out of captivity to the promised land.
1: So Moses says to God, this is in verse 13 of Exodus uh, chapter 3,
0: Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to him, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What's his name? What's his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Okay, so that's his name. I am. It's where we get the name Yahweh, which is maybe how you pronounce it, but we don't really know how to pronounce it because it's not supposed to be pronounced, because it's so holy. But anyway, he says, I am who I am. That tell him I am has, tell him, tell him the one who is, who exists, and is not created, the eternal one has sent you God furthermore said to Moses thus you shall say to the sons of Israel the lord that's yahweh i am your god the god of your fathers the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob has sent you you see when we when hebrew the writer of hebrews says he's not ashamed to be called their god It literally is saying he is not ashamed to be named by their names. Which God are we talking about? The God who is, who is, the God who is the self existent eternal one, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This reminded me of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 where the scripture describes the Lord Jesus as not ashamed to be called our brother. Now, there's plenty to be ashamed of in the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's at least that much to be ashamed of in my life and yours. But he is not ashamed. And
1: why was that?
0: Why is he not ashamed to be called their God? Because they trust him. They have the faith that perseveres to the end. They have the faith that waits for the promise, and keeps trusting. Well, until the promise is delivered. They didn't stop trusting when they died. They kept looking. They died in faith, still looking. And then we have this. He's not ashamed to be called their God, and he has Prepared the city they're looking for. That's back in Hebrews. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. He is delivering the promise. The vision of which we read about in the book of Revelation, the deliverance of that city. He has prepared the city they're looking for. They trust his promise. He's happy to be known as their God. And he's happy to be known as our God because we trust the one he sent. His eternal son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust the one who died to make all of this promising true. You see, if Christ never comes, if Christ never dies, if Christ doesn't rise from the dead, ascend to heaven, sit down at the right hand of God, make intercession for the saints from now on, return for the resurrection of his people, if Christ is not Christ...
1: None of these promises are true. And Abraham, Isaac, and
0: Jacob were fools, and so are you. If the Lord Jesus doesn't deliver the promises
1: of God, all of these things are made possible in him
0: the encouragement to the hebrews is trust in the promise of god continue in faith to the
1: end i'm reminded
0: of what jesus said in john 6 whoever the lord whoever the father brings will come And whoever comes, I will not turn away, but I will raise him up in the last day. The promise. Faith perseveres because faith is reliance on a promise. If you think about this, they died believing.
1: Because believing.
0: is still in the future. The thing believed in is still hope. It's still a thing not yet come, but it has been promised, so it will come, so I continue to believe. We talk about the perseverance of the saints, a theological term, which means a person who trusts in Christ, trusts in Christ. That that's not a reversible condition.
1: Well, one of the reasons for that is because
0: God, the Holy Spirit, sees to it. He gave you the faith and he maintains it. But also it's the faith in a future. It's not just backward looking to the cross. It's forward looking to the resurrection. And it's relying on things that haven't yet been delivered, but have been declared by God Almighty, so must happen. And so faith perseveres because it's still looking for its fulfillment. And that's the faith you had in the beginning. It wasn't just faith in what Christ has done for you. It's also faith in who he is and what he has said he will do. So it continues. Faith considers him trustworthy. Faith holds fast the confession of our hope. That's our beginning, part of our beginning challenge here in the book of Hebrews, right? It says, I encourage let us therefore draw near to God with in full assurance of faith. Hold fast the confession. Of our hope, our forward looking faith. So that is what we are encouraged to do. We're encouraged here to confess, confess that we are strangers and exiles on the earth. Weirdos. To be a stranger and an exile. is not to be like the people who do not rely
1: on the promise. I spend from a bank account they don't know exists.
0: So we confess, hey, look, we're, we're the strangers and aliens here. This world is not our home, as the saying goes. We're still looking for the promises of God. Well, that confession is life-altering. You don't live exactly the same way if you recognize that the, the country, your homeland, is that one to be delivered in the end. And so you, third thing, rest in the comfort of the promised home. You rest in the comfort of the promised home. You don't seek the comfort of the earthly home.
1: This world can give you a certain amount of comfort, I suppose. but it's quite limited.
0: So in Christ, I don't rest in the comfort that might be created here, which can always be yanked out from under you. It's the, our hope in Christ is the hope that doesn't disappoint, that will be fully realized. So that is the encouragement of this word to us. Trust in the promise of God. Confess that we're strangers and aliens in this world. And rest in the promise of the future city to be delivered. Rest in the promise of the resurrection of the dwelling place of God Almighty and his presence on the earth. And...
1: If you look for rest somewhere else, probably it's disturbable.
0: This rest is sure. When we come to the table, we come to remember something that has happened. The death of Christ. And it is the death of Christ, the sacrifice of the eternal son, that renders us acceptable to God and brings us into this citizenship of his kingdom, the childhood of his family, the adoption as his sons and daughters. So it is this thing that we remember that generates in us this hope that looks forward, that dies in faith, that perseveres in faith. And it's because Jesus gave his life that we realize all of these things are utterly trustworthy. So when we come to the table, we simply receive again the gift of his grace. We say, yes, I'll have that. We don't bring anything.
1: And we're not redeemed by
0: participation in this ritual. We're redeemed by the act of God that is commemorated in this ritual. and by the work of the Spirit that leads us to trust that, his death, for our sake. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your amazing love, for your promises, which are true, which can be counted on. So, Lord, as we gather around this table of remembrance, we remember, and we also look ahead. We remember what you have done in the work of Christ, <coughs> which was itself a fulfillment of your promise. Your promise even to Adam and Eve, and to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to Peter and James and John and to us. We count on you, Lord. We trust in you. And we know we can do so because by his stripes we are healed. You've dealt with our sinfulness in the cross of Christ. You've reconciled us to the living God through his death. So, Lord, as we come to the table, we celebrate these things. We give due consideration to the greatness of your grace. And we offer our own selves living sacrifices in response, in faith, in trust to the sacrifice of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.